Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. It's great to see everybody. I missed you guys last week, but I thought Greg did a phenomenal job last week continuing our series, This Not That. Now, in this series, we're doing something a little little shocking. For for some of us, it's going to push us way out of our comfort zone. It's going to step on some toes. Uh, For some people, you're going to be encouraged and inspired to follow Jesus like never before. Because in this series, what we're doing is we're just looking at the teachings of Jesus. And we're trying to do so by removing any filters that we come to the text with. And, and man, there's so many teachings of Jesus we could look at. We actually narrowed it down to one collection of his teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. But even at that, we narrowed it down even further to just one of the chapters of his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. We even narrowed it down further than that to just a collection within Matthew chapter 5. And we kicked this series off... But by looking at Jesus' mission statement, when he said he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And what we discovered is when Jesus talked about fulfilling the law, what he was saying is he came to bring a whole new way for us to relate to God, a whole new way for us to have that relationship with him. So so you don't have to do anything to have a relationship with God. You don't have to show up at church. You don't have to do good deeds. You don't have to give enough money. You can have a relationship with God because he made a way to, do, to have a relationship through the cross. Now, when we have that relationship, though, it impacts the way that we live. I know I live a lot differently now that I'm married than I did when I was single. And, and when you have this relationship with Jesus, it changes the way that you interact with other people. It changes the way you go about your daily life. And so Jesus then expounds and says, okay, this is what it looks like to live in a relationship with me. This is the kinds of people that you should be. And last week, Greg started diving into this practical teaching by looking at the the passage where Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But what I'm telling you is don't even harbor anger or bitterness in your heart towards other people. Then you've already committed murder in your heart. And is Jesus saying in that passage that being angry with somebody and murdering them are the same thing? That's not what he's saying, right? Would you think someone would rather you be angry with them or murder them? Probably, probably just be angry. But Jesus is making this important point that your focus determines your future. That, that, that every action you have starts with a thought. It starts with an attitude. It starts with what's going on in your mind. And, and, and murder starts when we harbor this anger and bitterness in our hearts. And so what Jesus wants to do is not just deal with the external, but deal with the internal. And this week, he's continuing that same line of thinking. In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to jump in to verse 27. He says, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So again, we gave the little warning earlier. Today's message is a little bit PG-13. We are talking about lust, adultery, sexuality. 
I was actually talking to my wife this week about my message, and she said, didn't we just have a week on that? And I said, yeah, but I don't get to choose what Jesus is teaching about, right? We're just going through Jesus' teaching. And so I'm sure that at some point today I'm going to spark some kind of thought or question you have. So just as a reminder, on the screen, there's a phone number, and you can text questions into that phone number anonymously, and I'm setting aside time at the end of each message in this series to address your questions. But when we're talking about lust and adultery, I think there's an important point that we have to make at the very beginning, and that is that sexuality is a good thing. Like God designed sex. And I think it sounds like we shouldn't have to say that, but a lot of times the church has said, well, there's some dangers of lust and adultery, so we've gone the opposite direction, and the church has said, well, then sex is bad. Right? Like when you're in school, people say, well, sex is bad. If you have sex, you're going to get an STD, and you're going to die. Right? If you have sex, you're going to get HIV, and you're going to die. If you have sex, you're going to get pregnant, and then you're going to die, right? It's like sex is bad. And so we swung so far over to one side that it sounds shocking to say, well, no, sex is good. But like, think about it. God designed sex. My goal today is to say sex as many times as possible. God designed sex. I mean, he could have had us procreate any number of different ways. They're like some plants that they just kind of bud off. Like you could have a baby just kind of bud off of you and fall down. That, that's not what he decided to do. Sex was God's idea. In fact, I've always been fascinated at the way that God has designed sex to actually bring you into a closer relationship with your spouse. So see, when you and your spouse are intimate together, your body actually produces dopamine. And if you're like me, you hear dopamine, you're like, okay, that's a good thing, but what does it do? Dopamine actually creates neural pathways in your brain that says this is a good thing, this is a fun thing, keep doing that thing, and keep doing that with the same person. Like, like dopamine makes you want to continue to be intimate with your spouse. Not only does sex create uh, dopamine, it also causes your body to produce a chemical called oxytocin. Oxytocin is known as the bonding chemical. In fact, when a mother gives birth to her kids, both the mother and the baby, the moment that kid is born, their, their bodies are flooded with oxytocin. And so when people say that there's no uh, bond quite like that of a mother and her kids, that's a scientific fact. They are bonded together in ways that as dads, we don't get that same kind of experience. But when you have sex, that same chemical is produced, and you're actually bonding together with someone else. Which, by the way, is why scripture talks about uh, reserving sex for marriage. It's not because the Bible is, is trying to keep people sexually repressed or that it's outdated. It's this idea that when you jump from partner to partner, the dopamine and oxytocin bonds get weaker and weaker and weaker. Anybody here have kids that have Velcro shoes? Like, I don't know if you ever experienced this. My boys have Velcro shoes, and, and at first they bond, and you put that Velcro on, it sticks really good. But then after like six months, all of a sudden it doesn't want to stay down anymore. That's like that bond that's created when you're intimate. It, the more that you break the bond and try to have a new bond and you jump from partner to partner to partner, the, that bond weakens. And so when, when the scripture talks about reserving sex for marriage, again, it's because we want that bond to be strong. We want it to be something that draws us closer together. And so I, I just want to kind of make the point then, that's why it's so important that when you're in a relationship and you're not married, don't create that bond. Because I know people are like, well, we know we're going to get married. Listen, I've known people who were engaged for 10 years, and then they broke up. 
I've known people who dated in high school and thought that they were going to get married. And guess what? They went to college and they didn't get married. And all of a sudden you're jumping from partner to partner. That, that bond is weaker and weaker. Now, I also believe that we have a God who heals. And so if you're here today and maybe you're kind of uh, straddled with guilt and shame because you think, well, I've had a lot of partners. Maybe that bond isn't going to be there for me. I believe that God is faithful to heal. God can, can restore that connection with your spouse. But I also think I don't want to bank on the fact that God is a healing God. I believe that God raises people from the dead, but I'm not going to go play in the highway either. Like, like, I know he can do it, but I also know he gave me a brain to make wise decisions. And so, yes, God can heal those connections, but we want to do whatever we can to reserve that for marriage. That makes sense. It's also why uh, pornography can be so dangerous. Because the same chemicals that are produced when you have sex are produced when you look at pornography. In fact, you're making bonds and connections with these images and with these other people that you've never met. And every new image you click on, every new website you go to, it's a new connection, made and broken. In fact, we've seen a rise in middle and high school students who are experiencing ED because of how much pornography they're looking at. Because every time you look at pornography, it's the law of diminishing returns. In order to get that same kind of connection, that same dopamine hit, you've got to go a little bit further. When my wife and I first started dating, I remember holding her hand, and there's this, like, electricity. They're like, oh, man, she's holding my hand. And we've been together for uh, over 14 years now. And, and listen, I still love when she holds my hand. It's a different feeling, but it's still exciting. And the, the temptation is to think, well, since I don't have that same feeling I had 14 years ago, it means that, that it's something less than. If your view of love is only the excitement that you get, then you're going to look for that in all the wrong places. And see, that's what happens when we're looking at pornography. We're looking for that next high, that next hit. Okay, so sexuality is a good thing because it bonds us closer to our spouse. But, but God does say here, in the right context. And so when Jesus is talking, he says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I think we could all probably agree that that seems like a logical thing, right? In light of what we know about sexuality, don't commit adultery. But it's important for us to understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about adultery. So we said this time and time again, Jesus was a first century Jewish man. And he's speaking to first century Jewish people. And he's quoting from their scripture, said, don't commit adultery. Now, when we hear the word adultery, we think that adultery is any time someone who's married has sex with someone who is not their spouse. And that's true. But according to the law, when Jesus is quoting adultery, only married women having sex with somebody who is not their spouse could commit adultery. Now, put it a different way. If you're a married man, you can have sex with someone who is not your spouse as long as she was single. And at first that sounds shocking, but remember, the, the law made uh, room for people to have multiple wives, to bring on concubines. And so when you understand what he's saying is, what you've been taught is that married men, it's okay for you to have sex with other women as long as they're single. But, but married women, you've been told, don't sleep with anybody who's not your spouse. Where does that put the responsibility for adultery on? It puts it on the woman. She's the one who has to be careful. Well, I shouldn't dress a certain way because that might be considered provocative. To be careful about who I'm around and who I'm talking to because I might tempt them into a relationship with me. And so you almost say, well, guys are going to be guys, but, but girls have to take on this responsibility to themselves. 
In fact, there was one Jewish rabbi who tells a story that there was a, a young man that was outside of his house and wanted to see his daughter changing so bad that he drilled a hole into the fence. And when the rabbi caught him, he said, what are you doing? And the young man said, well, if I'm not worthy of marrying your daughter, could I at least be worthy of catching a glimpse? Now, if you're a dad of a daughter and you caught somebody looking through a peephole in the fence, you might have a certain reaction. Well, this rabbi actually went to his daughter and said, you're cursed because of you, you're tempting other men to sin in this way. In fact, right around the time of Jesus, there, there was this group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees, but there was another sect of them called the Bleeding Pharisees because they would cover their eyes whenever a woman walked by and they were known to run into walls and doors and buildings to the point that their heads were bleeding because they didn't want to be tempted by these evil women who could not control their sexuality. So, so that's the context. When Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, then he continues, and he says, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Now, is Jesus saying lust and adultery are the same thing? No. But what he's saying is that when you lust, that adultery already starts to take root in your heart. What is Lust. What does it mean to lust after somebody? It's like uh, the Supreme Court was trying to define pornography many decades ago, and they said, well, I don't know what pornography is, but I don't know how to define it, but I can tell you when I see it kind of thing. And it's like, well, what is lust? You know, how do we define it, or do, do we just know it when we see it? It's fascinating to me that the word that Jesus uses for lust is actually the Greek word for covet. See, lust and coveting are the same thing. And what covet means is it just means to long for something, to have this extreme desire for something else. And so th this word that Jesus uses is not simply a sexual word. In fact, Jesus used that same word when he's having his final meal with his disciples. And he says, I I I'm coveting the next time we get to have this meal together. I'm longing for that. I desire for that. What Jesus is saying here is, you've heard it said don't commit adultery, but what I'm telling you is don't covet, don't long for something that doesn't belong to you. And so what lust is, is lust is this desire for, for someone else that, that doesn't belong to us. Lust is, is anytime we desire somebody else. So yes, certainly it means in a sexual sense. When you're looking at somebody, when you're gazing at them because you want them, that's lust. By the way, it is not lust, then, to look at somebody and say, that is a very attractive person. It's not lust. But it is lust to start to undress them with your mind because you long to be with them. You long to have them. It also means that an aspect of lust, then, is not just thinking in a sexual way, but it could also be, man, I wish that person was my husband. Look at the way he treats his wife. I, I wish that he would treat me that way. Or, man... I wish she was my wife because look at how she serves her husband. That is also, it's, it's coveting. It's longing for something that doesn't belong to you. Now, Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And according to the law, the responsibility was put on the women to not commit adultery. But Jesus says anyone who looks lustfully after a woman has committed adultery in his heart. So what is Jesus now doing? Who's he talking to? He's talking to a group of people, but he's specifically addressing 
the men. This was radical teaching for Jesus to say, no, no, the responsibility is not on the women to protect you, men. The responsibility is on you not to be lusting after women. And here's where I think that Jesus, this teaching may never be more relevant than it is now. Because if you've grown up in Christian circles, there's something called the purity culture. And, and listen, I'm all for purity. But we have taught our young women that it's your responsibility to cover up your body because boys will be boys. Boys are just more visually stimulated. And you got to do whatever you can. Listen, I'm all for modesty. But at the end of the day, you've heard me talk about before, and I tell my kids, BCD, blame, complain, defend. And what guys will do is, well, I look at pornography because that's just how guys are. I just, I, I can't help but look, right? Yeah, I'll look at the menu as long as I'm eating at home, right? Wrong. Jesus said it is your responsibility. Remember what Jesus is doing here. I'm going to try to recall from two weeks ago and see if you guys remember. But the first time the law was given, God called his 12 tribes of Israel up on a mountain and said, this is what my people look like. This is how I want you to live so you can show the world what I look like. Here, Jesus has taken his 12 disciples up on a mountain to say, here's what my people should look like. And it's as if Jesus is saying, the responsibility is on you men so much that the church, that the people of God should be such a safe place that no matter who walks in the door, no matter what they're wearing, there could be a woman who ran into this church building completely naked, falls on the ground, and she should know this is a safe place that no one would take advantage of her, no one would lust after her, no one would take advantage of her, because the men of God are people who are going to protect their thoughts, protect their minds, and protect the people around them. Does this making sense? So Jesus says that you can't lust after other people. He goes further than... And he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to lose a body part than to be thrown into hell. Now, the word hell here is this word Gehenna, which means the Valley of Hinnom. It's actually this is burning trash heap outside of Jerusalem. And people would just kind of throw their trash and the fire would never die out. And Jesus is saying, that's what lust does to you. It's this fire, this passion that will consume you, and it will never die out. Because what lust is, is it's chasing after something that's not real. It's trying to get love that you're not going to get it in that way. If you're familiar with the, the Chronicles of Narnia, Edmund is tempted by this witch. And the way that he's tempted is through this um, dessert called Turkish Delight. And the witches bewitched this dessert so that the more he eats, the hungrier he becomes. And also the more he eats, the less good anything healthy sounds. So he keeps eating this Turkish delight, looking for fulfillment and satisfaction, but it only leaves him longing for more. That's what lust does. You lust after one person, but then you find somebody else who has a quality that you want. So you're lusting after them, or you're looking at pornography, and it, it feels like this all-consuming fire that's burning you from the inside. It only leads to death and destruction. It leads to destruction of, of your relationships. It leads to destruction to your thought life. It can completely consume you. You might think, well, is it really that bad? And Jesus said, yes, it's so bad that if your right eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. What is Jesus saying there? I think he's using some hyperbole. Um, 
you know, some people say, well, maybe this is a, a reference to self-pleasure. And, and, and maybe, but I think if Jesus was talking about that, there's probably another body part that he could have mentioned that he didn't. But what Jesus is saying here, in that culture, the right side of your body was considered the most important. It was the honorable side of your body. And so Jesus is saying, listen, if your eye is causing you sin, even if it's your most important eye, get rid of it. Even if it's your most valuable hand, get rid of it because you don't want to be consumed by this desire that's never going to satisfy. And what that means for us is there might be some things in our life that are good, that, that, that maybe God would love to use in a powerful way, but maybe in order to protect ourselves, we've got to get rid of those things. Maybe there's some relationships in your life right now that you need to put on pause because it's causing you to lust. Maybe you got to ask God about the kinds of TV shows or movies that you're watching, the kind of music you're listening to, the kind of books that you're reading. They can be good things. There could be nothing inherently wrong, but it's better for you to cut those things out of your life so that you could follow Jesus and honor people the way he's called you to honor them than it is for you to burn with this desire that is never going to be satisfied. Does this make sense? Okay, so... What I want to do in the time we have left is I just want to give you some practical things. Okay, we talked about how sexuality is good. God created it, but he created it in a specific context. That's within marriage. And so we know that adultery is not just a woman's responsibility to protect the men. But, but as men, it's our responsibility not be consumed with this desire, this coveting of other people. And as a result, we might have to make some changes in order to protect ourselves. What do those changes look like? The first thing is I think we all have to admit that there's an issue. And this is where, I want to be careful here. I think sometimes, this is where I wish that I had a female on stage with me. Because I think as guys, it may be a little easier to admit that we have an issue. Because I think for girls, we've been taught, well, girls don't look at pornography. Yeah, girls do. In fact, the statistics show that it's almost 50-50 now, the number of women and men who look at pornography. Now, now, there's other ways that we all lust, but maybe if, if you're a female here today, you don't lust by looking at pornography, but maybe you find yourself wondering what it would be like to marry to that guy you work with, or what it would be like to, to be with that guy who picks his kids up at the bus stop when you do, or that customer that you have. And you can long to think about these other things, and we have to admit that all of us, in some way, in some capacity, at some time, struggle with this. We have to admit that there's an issue. We know that the first step to solving any problem is we have to admit that there's a problem. And I think it's so easy sometimes to think, well, this is just the way things are. It's really not that big of a deal. Who am I hurting? But the reality is we've already seen when you lust, you're hurting your spouse, you're hurting your marriage, you're hurting your family. Maybe you're not married when you're hurting your relationship with your future spouse and the bond and the connection that God wants you to have with them. But it has to start with admitting that there's an issue. Now, the second thing I want to challenge us to do is when you find yourself in situations where you are lusting, I want us to bounce our thoughts. There's a book I read several years ago. It's specifically for men about combating lust. And they talked about bouncing your eyes. So if you see a woman who's attractive, bounce your eyes really quick. But I don't know how other people are, but once I, I see somebody, I can bounce my eyes, but my thoughts continue to linger. And I think that, that it may be important to bounce our eyes, but the bigger important thing, I think, is to bounce our thoughts. 
This is when you find yourself coveting somebody else, longing to be with them. Bounce your thoughts back to the person that you're with. Start to thank God for your spouse. Start to thank God for the ways that they serve you and the ways that they care for you. In fact, maybe when you're tempted to lust, maybe that's when you pick up flowers on the way home for your wife. And if she's listening today and the next time you bring home flowers, she might have some questions for you. But, but look for ways to serve your spouse. Look for ways to serve the person you're with. Think on things. What does Jesus say? He says, think on the things above. Set your mind on heavenly things, not on these temptations that we have. See, that's, I think, the key to lust. It's not when we look at somebody and we say, man, that person's attractive, but it's when we allow our thoughts to linger. By the way, Jesus, it's interesting what he does. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. He said, but what I'm telling you is don't covet, which is the 10th commandment. You know, the 10th commandment is the only commandment that has to do with your thought life. All the others are actions. But see, Jesus says, no, I want every part of you. I want even your thoughts. There's no part of your life that is off limits to Jesus. This is why he talks about adultery. Like we're we're three weeks into this series. He's already hitting on the PG-13 stuff. There is no part of your life that should be off limits to Jesus. In fact, if you're only following Jesus 90%, you're not really following Jesus. If you're following Jesus 95%, you're not really following Jesus. If you're following Jesus 99%, you're not really following him. And it's so easy sometimes to say, Jesus, I'll follow you and trust you in every area of my life. But, but you never pray before you spend money. You never ask him if he wants you to be generous or if he wants you to give. You say, I'll follow you in every area, but, but not in my finances. Or Jesus, I'll follow you in every area, but, but I'm going to watch what I want to watch. I'm going to listen to what I'm going to listen to. And in the same way, how many times do you say, Jesus, I'll follow you in every area, but not what I look at on my phone not the thoughts that I dwell on when I'm by myself. Scripture tells us to to set our minds on the things above. Set our minds on Jesus. Set our minds on the blessings that he's given us. I find that the more that I think about and thank God for all the things he's given me, I tend to complain less about the things he's given me. The, The more that I'm praying for my kids, the less I'm complaining about my kids. The more that I'm, I'm praying and thanking God for these things, in the same way, maybe for some of us, bouncing our thoughts starts with praying for your spouse, praying for your kids, praying for the things in your life, because all of a sudden, your, your attitude starts to shift. You're not longing for anything else because you realize the blessing that God has already put in front of you. All right, I think we have time for a question. Throw it over to Q&A. Is it appropriate to text a person of the opposite sex who is in a relationship? Um, If you're my wife, no. Anybody else, yes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's a great question because it really gets to this idea. Okay, Jesus says we've got to walk this line, right? On on one hand, we want to love people well. But on the other hand, he says, well, if this thing is tempting you, then you got to gouge it out. And here's where I'm probably going to frustrate some people, but this is, I think, maybe how Jesus would tell us to navigate this issue. Is I think you got to pray about it. I think you've got to examine your heart. Because we live in a culture now, and I'm going to be careful. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard of something called the Billy Graham rule. Where where Billy Graham, he's this great evangelist, he was never in a room alone with a woman. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I'm I'm not saying that that that's necessarily a wrong rule. But again, what is the message that that's sending? 
well, this woman might make advances on me. This woman might accuse me of something. Again, it's, it's, it's saying, well, it's the woman's responsibility. She's the reason that I might be tempted or drawn into something. And I can just tell you, I have females on my staff. And, and I can't, you know, bring our student director or worship pastor into every conversation I need to have with, with one of them. No, we're wise. We're not going to, you know, meet at my house by ourselves, okay? But, but all of us know we have to navigate these relationships with uh, people of the opposite gender. When it comes to texting, have to be careful because it's so easy sometimes to send a flippant text that's maybe just an off-color joke. Maybe it starts to delve into the world of flirtation, and all of a sudden your thoughts are dwelling on the next time that person's going to text. And, and your heart starts to flutter, and you're getting that excitement, and all of a sudden you're headed down a pathway that, that you don't need to be heading down. So, so I, I know what we want is when we have questions like this. We want the simple answer, yes or no. Should we text somebody of the opposite sex when we're in a relationship or they're in a relationship? I think what Jesus says, there's a tension that you have to live in. And if it's causing you to stumble, if it's causing you to be led down into lust, then no, don't text them. But if you've got to carry on about business and you've got to do work, then, then yeah, that's fine. Does that, does that make sense? I, I know that probably didn't clear anything up for anybody, but again, it's, I think... We live in a world that wants a yes or no, a right or wrong. And I think what Jesus tells us is sometimes there's tensions you have to live in and you have to manage them. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's gonna guide us. You know if you're flirting with somebody that you shouldn't be flirting with. You, you already know. In fact, if, if you ask this question, there's probably a specific situation that immediately came into your mind. And it also means maybe that relationship isn't wrong but maybe for the sake of your own spouse, you're willing to lay down your life and your rights in order to honor them. Great question. All right, so we've talked about the fact that we have to admit that there's an issue. We have to balance our thoughts. The last thing that I would say, when it comes to this issue of, of lust, of coveting, you gotta confess to a friend. In James, it says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Right? Healing comes through confession. I think sometimes in, in our evangelical world, we've lost the importance of confession. You know, there are certain uh, faith traditions where there's a priest that you can go and confess to, or there's certain liturgies you can do where you confess your sins. But we kind of live in a culture now where we can kind of come in and we don't really have to confess anything to anybody. But I love the saying, and I don't know who said it first, so if you want to give me credit on social media, feel free to do so. It says, you'll always be as sick as your secrets. By the way, that's, that's how adultery starts. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to have an affair today. How does it start? It starts with a thought. It starts with lingering, and, and the more that goes unchecked, your thoughts dwell more and more until you start to send that flirtatious text. Start to try to meet up and hang out when your spouse isn't around. and It's a slow fade to get to adultery. And that's why we need people in our life that we confess to. You know, I need people in my life that I confess to. One of my, my friends, Gabe, he's a pastor at a church in Dahlonega. He's speaking at our men's event, which is this Thursday. So a little side note plug here. Here's the ad in the YouTube video. If you're a man, you do not want to miss Thursday night here. Gabe has a powerful message for us on what it looks like to lead and to lead our families well. And so, so I challenge you to be here and bring a friend. But Gabe is somebody that I confess things to, and I have told him 
that if at any point I confess something to you that you think needs to be told to the elders of this church or to my family, do it. Because I know I need people in my life who are gonna hold me accountable. We all need those kinds of people. That's why we do life groups here at Bridgepoint. I'm just gonna tell you, a lot of times that the curriculum doesn't matter. I'm partial to the freedom groups. I'm leading a freedom group now. There's great stuff in that curriculum. But the best thing that can come out of any group is that you find one person that you could confess things to. One person that you can say, man, I'm really struggling with this. And maybe it's not lust. Maybe it's something else. But you can say, can you hold me accountable? Can you walk with me through this? Because when you have that person, it changes things. When you have somebody in your life that you can confess to, it holds you to a higher level of accountability. You cannot do this life alone. You cannot be the person God has created you to be without somebody close enough that you can confess to. And especially when it comes to this issue of the thoughts in our mind, we have to have people that we're comfortable enough to say, this is what I'm dealing with. Can you pray with me? Can you help me? So I want to challenge you, if you don't have that relationship in your life, get in a group. And listen, don't show up the first week in group and start throwing up all the things you're dealing with. It might not be during the group time that you confess, but it might be that there's one person there, you meet up with them, lunch, coffee, and that relationship forms. That's one really simple step you can take this morning to help combat an issue that I think might be more prevalent in our, our culture now than maybe even in Jesus' day. And so what I want to do right now is I want to give us a time of reflection, time to respond. So everybody across this room, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And here's what I want you to do. In this moment, I just want you to ask Jesus. Just is there something that I've been coveting? Is there someone that I've been longing for? And if that's you, then right now in this moment, let's just surrender that to him. God, we just come before you right now and we admit that we're broken. We admit that there's things in our life that we have an unhealthy relationship with. Pornography, alcohol, social media, and anything in our life that's causing us to long for something other than you. Reveal that to us right now. I pray in the times this week that we're tempted to dwell on thoughts we shouldn't dwell on, that you would help us to bounce those thoughts. Help us to think on you. And I pray that for all of us, you would bring someone in our lives that we would have a relationship close enough that we could confess these things. And I pray that through that confession, that Jesus, you would bring healing. You would bring hope. That we would be closer to you because of it. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.